Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Can you hear me okay? Online, you hear me okay? All you people out there, give us a wave. <laughs> it's just uh, thrilling to be here. I'm glad the children are here um, this morning. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I, know, I knew that going in, that the children are here this morning. So as I prepared and sought the Lord's face, I said, okay, I want a word for the children for ages about 6 to 12 or 14. And I thought if the parents want to eavesdrop, they can. That's okay, but um, that's kind of where I, I, I want to speak to. I want to speak to the, to the children. And um, so I wanted to start off with having a youth or a child read the portion, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. So who have we selected for that? Very good. Do these, does mine have to be off for this to be on? No? Okay, here you go. Wait. On, I'll hold this for you. You come and read. What's your name? Kaylee. Kaylee. Jesus spoke to them again in the parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like the king who has prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent his, some more servants, and they said, and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was intrigued. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers, burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite the ban to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Hmm. The man was speechless. Then, he told the, then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Thank you. Father, thank you for your word that is revealed to us. Thank you for your word that was read to us. Thank you for children. Thank you, Father, that you love us and care for us. Help us now to see the simple truth that you want to communicate to us, the gospel, the hope that is there. Open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you have for us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You ever, kids, you ever have your parents say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Yes? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yes, there's many of us who have done things and gotten ourselves in deep trouble. I remember I was about 10 years old. It was windy like crazy. 
Uh, the, it was wintertime. The snow was blowing. The wind was very, very high. And I thought it'd be a good idea to go sailing. So I got my toboggan and a great big sheet of plywood. I set it up so that the wind could catch it. And I thought, I'm going to go sailing. I don't have to walk up a hill. I can just go. And my dad caught me just before I took off. He says, what were you thinking? How are you going to get back? I wasn't thinking about that. When the wind is going to carry you, where are you going to go? I don't know. What were you thinking? Well, obviously not about everything. So critical thinking is something that's important. And worldview is important. And I find that in, in children very often, it's, it's, it's a worldview is not formed until you're about 10 or 12 years old how life works. And so you can be a child and your mom and dad love you very much. And then you find out you're going to have a brother or sister and you go, what is that? Now the whole world changes. And you might say to your parents, what were you thinking? <laughs> Everything was good before this happened. What were you thinking? And, and so thinking plays a big part into what we do. Um, we had somebody playing the drums where, which country you're from? If I'm your ancestry, where's it from? Burundi. Say again. Burundi. Burundi. Ah, I've been to Burundi. Mm. Been to Burundi a few times for a few months, and my assignment was to go for a month and to do to do a, a holiday club, children's DVBS thing for children for a month in Burundi, and uh, so I set about trying to find the material that could work for Burundi here in North America. There's nothing. Just so you know, there's nothing. There's not a single story that you can tell here, a children's story, that they will understand over there. Not a single story. Somebody got up in Burundi and preached. The preacher says, there was a man, he was so poor, he was just poor, poor, all he had was a bicycle. And everybody said, he wasn't poor, he had a bicycle, he wasn't poor. I know poor, bicycle, you're not poor. What are you thinking? What is your worldview about things? And I was very grateful for our black friend sitting at the drums. Because when we're in Rwanda, you see, Rwanda, there's no such thing as a white Rwandese. Doesn't exist. Rwanda means you're black. And they have no problem with those words. I'm using those words. If anybody takes exception to it or says, how can you use that word? That's just the truth of it. But they're created in the image of God. And so as kids, you hear Black Lives Matter. What's that about? And kids know that it doesn't matter because kids can be friends and, and have all different colored skin kids that they're hanging out with and playing with. They don't see skin color. They don't see, what's the issue, Black Lives Matter? What's the deal? I have a discussion regularly with three or four friends in Rwanda, even yesterday I had one, and I asked them the question, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And uh, it's a very, very energetic discussion, I assure you. And I want to know, what are you thinking? What are you hearing? What's happening? Because when we go with the gospel, someplace we go with what we think is the gospel, with what we think is the good news, with what we think how things should be done, and mostly we get it wrong. And our thinking is wrong. Right thinking will lead to right believing, which will lead to right behaving. Is there a picture up here? 
will read to right behaving. And so what is critical thinking? Kids, I want you to know, critical thinking means you don't assume you know everything, and you don't assume that the person talking to you knows everything. That's important. Now, you, you respect your parents, and you listen to them, and your teachers. You do that, but don't assume they know everything. Of course, you know that they don't. Kids, you know that they don't, right? But I'm telling you, don't assume they know everything. Be polite, be kind and gentle, but you've got to think critically. And so as children, there's two tools that you have. One is God's Word and one is the Bible. And you'll be taught things and you think, that doesn't really make sense. Or a preacher says something, you go, that doesn't make sense. I don't get it. That's a, I'm saying that thinking is a good way of thinking. I encourage you to think that way. But don't stop there. Then try and find out what's going on. What's really going on? And you have two tools. You have God's Word and you have a journal. So I encourage you to, to think critically when it comes to everything. God's Word. And you can write down in here, okay, God, what were you saying? What were you meaning? What's going on? And you ask questions like a reporter. Who is speaking? What, what are they saying? Why are they saying this? What's going on over here? And you think critically about everything that is there. And why do we believe what we believe? And we're just going to illustrate for a minute. For example, do you have a favorite food? What's your favorite food? Pizza. What's your favorite food? Spaghetti. What's your favorite food? Hmm? What do you say? Cookies. And if I wanted to give you a really, really, really good treat... What would I give you? Ice cream. Ice cream. I'm with you on that. Now here's something bizarre, because I sometimes like to ask children questions. I was in, in Rwanda, and there was a, a, a charming young girl full of beautiful dress, uh, energetic, and I asked her the question. I brought her in front of everybody. I said, what's your favorite food? Rice. Okay. Okay, but like, what would you eat different times of the week? What do you eat? Rice. If I wanted to give you a really, really special treat, what would it be? Rice. I says, rice with, with anything special on it? Rice. I love rice. It's delicious. And it hit me. I was coming with a worldview. And for her, she knew she had food every day. And she knew she had friends that didn't have food every day. And she was grateful. You see, I found myself thinking only rice? Hmm? No special treat? Only rice? And she was thinking, I get rice every day. And I love rice. How do we think? How do we see people? Are we thinking critically? What's your favorite food? See, there are some kids that are told something about favorite food. Can you put up the picture? Lynn's going to tell a story about a, about a kid who has been told something about a favorite food. 
favorite, favorite food. Go ahead, Lynn. So there's a bit of a backstory to this picture. Um, very often when we are in Rwanda, we go to villages, like way far from any other city. And often the children there have never seen a white person. And so to see their excitement and, and they're calling out to us as we're driving by and very often they're running beside the vehicle as we're driving and, and it's just so fun to watch their excitement. But if we get out of the vehicle, then they disappear. They're, they're just gone. And so with this picture, there were maybe um, a dozen kids in this group. He was clearly the ringleader of this group. And we were in our vehicle. We were waiting for other people to get there and... And so we were waiting in the vehicle, and they would come up to the vehicle, and they would let us take pictures, and they would want to see the picture, but if we reached our hand out, they would disappear. And, but then they would come back, and they would just enjoy these strange people in this vehicle. And... It was all fine and good as long as we were in the vehicle. But once we got out, the kids were gone. There were just none. But this one, he came back a little bit. Maybe, maybe from the sound booth away from us. He would come up and he would maybe inch a little further ahead. And then as we moved, he would move back. And it was just a, a very startling thing for him to see. And we asked, um, we had been told this in the past, that, that what parents do when they're wanting to, um, of course, none of you would ever do this, but when they're wanting to scare their children into obedience, no one would do that, right? <laughs> they want to scare their children into obedience. Here, I think, some people have said the boogeyman will get you. Well, there, the, the young children are told that the fat white man will eat you. And will eat you. And so they're fine when we're in the car, but we get out and they see we're white and we apparently have eaten many black children. <laughs> And so they are told this, and they are whipped into obedience just by this threat. If you are not good, the, the fat white person will come and eat you. And so this was these children's expectation, that they could get as close as, as they would dare as long as we were in the vehicle. But when we would get out, who knows what would happen? And so they definitely kept their distance when that was happening. Um, one of the uh, fellows that we work with there, he was wondering, What's, why is this happening? What's going on? And we told him this story. And he says, oh, no, no, no. That's not true. So he went up to this boy. He was a Rwandan. He went up to this boy, and he explained that that's not true and, and would explain the truth to this 
young boy, and very slowly, slowly, he would come closer to us, and he would let us take a picture, and then he would let us show him quite close. And so he very quickly got over that, that lie that he had been told for so many years. And uh, so I think that's what Dave's talking about when he says one of their favorite meals. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Critical thinking. We're told stuff that's just not true. And we all do it. As parents, as pastors, as leaders, we tell stuff that's just not true because we think the ends justifies the means. And we're wrong. And the mistake we make is we don't teach our children to think critically. We teach them to behave a certain way so when they come to church, they sit nicely, politely. They don't make a problem. They go to youth. They don't make a problem. But the day they leave and move out of the home, all hell breaks loose. Why does that happen? We haven't taught them to think. We've taught them to behave a certain way. And as we go to Rwanda and we... We work in a country where in 94 they had a genocide of a, a million people in 100 days and the nation was 94% Christian. How does that happen? They don't think critically. They do what they're told. So who taught them to do that? Guess what? We have a part in it. And we need to think critically and teach people to think critically. So... We want to, uh, for example, um, who's Santa Claus? No one. <laughs> no one? Good answer. Uh, another question for you. What is children? Children need to respond. What is Pentecost? Hmm? Do your children know what is Pentecost? And if they don't, I'm looking at the parents. Why don't they? Hmm. Oops. <laughs> we've, we've been at Christmas in Rwanda, and we discovered Christmas there is quite different. It's a day on the calendar. There it is. But where we were, there is no gifts. There's no trees. There is no Nothing. No special food. Well, how can that be? This is a big deal. Yeah, but at Pentecost, they have a celebration. It's a big time. It's a huge time, and everybody knows what it is and when it is and what's going on. Pentecost. It's worldview. What do we think? Favorite foods. Um... I know of a grandpa who had two kids, two of his grandsons in the back seat of the car, grandsons who didn't know about Jesus. They were about eight years old, and their parents and family was well ingrained in Santa Claus, and the grandpa asked the, the kids, so help me understand, how does Santa Claus deliver all those gifts all around the world in one night? And the kids in the back seat say, well, grandpa... There is no Santa Claus. 
And Grandpa was listening. What do you mean? Well, Mom and Dad want us to believe there is a Santa Claus. We don't know why, but it's important to them that we believe there's a Santa Claus. So they lie to us about it, and they want us to believe there's a Santa Claus. But we know there isn't a Santa Claus. Critical thinking. You see that? That's critical thinking. What you're telling me doesn't make sense. How does this work? So children, you need to think critically. Everything people tell you, teachers, everybody, think critically. Another thing is that we assume that what we're experiencing in life is what everybody else experiences in life. And we think that's how it is. So if you come to Rwanda as a guest, I like to ask you, how do you like the evergreens? And people will look at trees that are here called evergreens, and they say, I love them. I says, well, in Rwanda, Rwanda they're all evergreens because they never lose their leaves. You see it? How do you look at things? What do you see when you come? And what do you experience? And so to illustrate things from the Bible that we don't understand, when they read scripture, we read scripture and says that God will cover us and our sins will be washed whiter than snow. And I ask in Rwanda, what is snow? Hmm? You know what is snow. Whiter than snow, your children understand it. How do you explain snow to somebody who's never, ever, 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 ever seen snow? What's that? White fluffy stuff. And cold. Okay, for them, cold is when it gets all the way down to plus 17. It's cold they have to put on their parka. That kind of cold, you mean? Colder. There is no colder than 17. It doesn't exist. So you see, how do we communicate with people? And what do people experience in life? And we can gain a lot by asking them. You have a friend from Burundi who's part of you. I encourage you to get together to talk about Black Lives Matter and how he sees it. And how their family and kids see it. Am I okay with that encouragement? We've had that discussion. You've had it. It's amazing, isn't it? I love it. So anyway, we want to look at this portion in, in Matthew to get something out of it that makes sense. And when I've looked at this, and there's a portion in there that says that the, the king threw the one who wasn't dressed properly, threw him out into the fires of hell. And I've heard people say, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? What would make him do that? I, I would be more gracious than that, people say. What kind of person would do that? You see, we don't understand. So we want to look at this portion of Scripture critically. I encourage you children, take any one of the parables or any of the teachings that's a little story and then read it through from beginning to end and ask these questions. Who is speaking? What are they talking about? Where is this happening? When is this happening? Why? What's going on here? Read through that whole thing, that portion, and when you've read through it, then go back and read it again. And again. And read through it 10, 15 times. Each time, as you read it, you will start to see new things. More things. Amazing things. Do that as children. Because you have not yet decided 
what is being said. You're actually asking what is being said. And as adults, we come to it and we already have made up our decision of what is being said and we try and find what we are trying to say, come to the scripture to make it say what we were thinking we wanted it to say. What does it say? And so here's Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke to them. Who's them? Hmm? You ever wonder about that? Jesus spoke to them. Who was Jesus? Who did they think was Jesus? Who is this guy? What's the story about? Jesus spoke to them. Why do we have this parable? Well, verse 2, it says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So Jesus is talking about a kingdom of heaven. But who is he talking to? Well, the them is the Jews. A Jew is anybody was God's original, the children of Israel were the Jews. Abraham's descendants, they were Jews, Israelites. And Gentiles, you hear in the Bible, Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. It's that simple. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, that's the only distinction we have in Scripture, Jew or Gentile. Jesus spoke to them. Who was them? They're Jewish people. Jesus came and he says, we, God says, I will set up my kingdom on this earth and the Jews will be the rulers. The Jews will lead in the world. And we'll have a kingdom where the Jews are in charge and the world will be at peace. Jesus will be king and we will rule the world. God's kingdom has come. God's will will be done because Jesus Christ is king. And Jesus comes and he is the Messiah, the king of kings. That's who Jesus is. That's who's speaking. The one sent from heaven who is going to make peace and provide everything. The Jews were listening and they remembered the children of Israel and how they got bread all the time or Jesus turned, fed 5,000. That's who they wanted. They wanted somebody who would give them everything. Give us food, money, favor, air-conditioned churches for hot days. That's who we want. Curb money so that when we can't work, we still get paid. That's what we want. That's the government we want. And Jesus came and says, I'm talking about a spiritual kingdom. I'm talking about as leaders, we need to humble ourselves and serve others. And the Jew says, we're not interested. None of that. We don't want this humble serving, serving thing. No, 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 no. So Jesus is talking in parables. He tells a story because it's hard to nail somebody for telling a story. But the Jews know exactly what he's saying. Listen to them. So the Jews, were, the leaders were there, the Jewish leaders, the children, the families. Everybody is there listening to what he's saying. And the children are there listening and they love him. They love him because he had time for the kids. They love him because he says, you must... Listen to the children. And he says, you must come to me like children. Like children who have not yet performed this idea of who they think the Messiah should be, of what this life called Christian should look like, but actually come to Jesus and ask him, what are you saying? Actually ask the question. 
like a child would. So, Jesus was the Messiah, the one who would set up God's kingdom, and the Jews were not interested. So Jesus spoke to them. Now you know who's speaking and who he's speaking to. Again in parables, that's verse 1. Again, again, he said something before in parables, did he? So this is again. Okay, well, then what else did he say in parables? You see, if you just look at the scripture and ask, what is happening here? Jesus spoke again. So this is, a, this is not a completed story by itself. This is part of a bunch of stories. But we look at it by itself. So we need to take it in context. Again, what is a parable? A parable is a story that's simple and plain to see, that a child can understand. That's a parable. And Jesus taught many places and times in parables so children could understand. And the intellectual, intelligent people took exception to it and wanted to rip it apart, whatever. It's the same today. Verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, when you have a wedding here in Canada, you have an engagement, and when the engagement comes and you know there's a wedding coming, and different things are going to happen. It's different in, in Rwanda. You see, in Rwanda, first of all, the couple will, will pray, and then we'll go to the pastor and to the pastors and pray, the people we work with, the Christians I'm talking about, and we'll discern if this is right. Then there's a dowry that has to be paid where the parents of the, the groom have to pay money or cows to the parents of the bride. And we say, oh, that's not us. No, I know it's not, except that the groom is expected to buy an engagement ring for the bride, and that price is very similar to the dowry that is paid in, in Africa. So let's just think about it for a bit, and there's more things in common than not. Then the wedding in, in Rwanda would happen at the home of the bride, the physical home of the bride, and in the morning of the, the wedding, and we've been to quite a few of these weddings there, the dowry ceremony happens, and it's a beautiful, amazing thing. The bride and groom are actually secondary in the wedding. Think of that. <laughs> you brides that are all the center of attention, you're secondary. The issue is the families coming together. The families coming together. They want to know, who are you? You woman or girl, where are you from? What's your lineage? They want to know from the guy. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your lineage? We read Matthew. The genealogy is told. Why? Because they need to know. The Jewish culture needs to know. Who is he? Where is he from? It all ties together. So we have the beautiful story as it ties together. What's the dowry? Who arranges the wedding? The bride and the groom. Are you ready to go? Verse 3, and he sent out slaves to all those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Here the story becomes intense all of a sudden. You feel the tension build in the story. The king has invited people, everybody to come to the wedding. Now this wedding won't be at the, the bride's home, it'll be at the groom's home because he's the king. And so when the king knows the wedding's going to come, the, the invitation, news goes out throughout the entire country, the king's son is getting married, when? Don't know yet, but save the date, more information coming. Right? Everybody knows 
The king is going to have a wedding. Everybody. And you know where it's going to be, and everybody knows to get ready. And the women would talk about, what are you going to wear, what I'm going to wear, you know, what, are you to, what are you going to bring, what are you going to... Right? This is how it is. So the, the king prepares the wedding feast. So then on the a day of the wedding, or the day before, the word goes out now. Now it's time to come. We want you all to come to the wedding. He sent out his slaves to those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Jesus was talking about the Jews, first of all. He says, all you Jews, I am come to you as the Messiah. And you're rejecting me. So he tells it as a story. But the Jews knew what he was saying. You're rejecting me. So the king says, come to the wedding feast. They were unwilling to come. Then verse 4, again he sent other slaves and says, tell those who have been invited, I've prepared the dinner. The oxen has been slaughtered and butchered and everything is ready. Come now. So the invitation first went to the Jew, the Jewish people as a national invitation to the leaders of the Jewish people. Will you accept Jesus as king? And the leaders said, no, we reject him as king. We want a different king. We want a king that will give us money and favor and stuff, not a king that wants to be humble, loving, serving. No, that's not the king we want. And then Jesus says the invitation now goes to the individuals. If you're a Jewish person, even though your government has rejected you, you can accept me and we'll be together. And everybody knows what's happening, but they're not talking about it. It's just kind of there. And so he says, send, send them to coming out. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went their way. One to his farm, another to his business. They didn't care. You know why? They asked the question, what's in it for me? Why should I come to this wedding? What's in it for me? Am I going to get a benefit? Oh, you want me to be a servant, humble? No, I'm not interested in that. that no, 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 no. You want me to go and honor somebody? But what's in it for me? So what's going to happen? And Jesus said, if you honor me, I will honor you. In my kingdom, he was talking spiritual. They didn't want spiritual. They wanted physical. They wanted now, here and now. Rejected him. Then he says to his slaves, go out and find people. Here's the thing about the wedding in ancient times. When the king says, now is the time, the servants would go to the people's homes and everybody coming to the wedding would get a robe. A robe sent by the king. Can you imagine? The children are invited and every child has a robe that fits them perfectly. And the girls say, mommy, mommy, I was going to wear this dress, but this is just so special. This is so amazing. This is from the king, and it fits me perfectly. And then what the king would do is with the robe, he would also have an invitation that would have his seal on it. So that if somebody would say, who do you think you are going to the wedding? You'd say, you see my robe? You see my invitation? Do you see the seal of the king that is on the invitation? This is who I am. 
And so they would go to the wedding and they would talk to each other and be very excited and see each other's robes and see the seal and they'd go to the palace. When they got to the palace, because they'd walked, they would have dirty feet. So as they got to the palace, there was a servant who would wash their feet and they would flick their sandals up and the servant would catch it. And there's another place in, in Psalms 108 verse 9 where it says, Moab is my wash bowl, over Edom I throw my shoe. It's a flicking of the shoe to the servant. The servant does not have any authority to question, to question anybody. So here comes this guy to the wedding and he's not wearing the robe. He does not have the invitation with the seal. It was sent to him. He rejected it. No robe, no seal. And he comes and he flicks his shoe and he gets washed. Then he would go to another servant's place who would not have authority to challenge him, who would now anoint him with rose water so he'd smell sweet. So at the wedding feast, everybody would look incredibly gorgeous and smell sweet. And the king comes for the wedding of his son and looks around and he sees one guy sitting there without the robe, without the seal, and he could probably smell him. And he says, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? And he's got no answer. He's speechless. Who do you think you are? That you will come in here without the robe, without the seal, the invitation, and you come here and, and, and you're going to think you're just going to be here? Bind him up. Throw him out. And nobody would question or think the king was mean. Because everybody knew he had the invitation. Everybody knew the robe had been sent. The seal had been offered and he had rejected it. Rejected it. Bind him hand. And he says in verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus Christ came. See, this is the bridegroom wooing the bride. And he came. And he says, I love you. Kids, God loves you. No matter what happens. What anybody says, God loves you. God will never leave you and never forsake you. Absolutely true. If somebody says different, they're lying. God loves you. God cares for you. So what happens here is this fellow is taken and he's thrown out. And Jesus is telling the story. This is heaven. And different places he says, I have sent you the invitation. 
I've sent it to you. I've sent you the robe of righteousness. The robe of Jesus Christ. I've sent it to you and it fits each one of you. No matter what skin color you are, how big or small, I have sent it to you. And I've given you the invitation. It has my seal on it. The Holy Spirit. Will you come? Will you come? And some of us say, what's in it for me? Am I going to get money? Others will say, look what I'm doing for you. I will do things for you, do things for you, do things for you. And Jesus says, who are you? You here without the robe, without the seal, are wanting to oppress me with what you've done for me? No. No. It's only the robe, it's only the seal. Now when it says that many are called, few are chosen, and the enemy will try to sow a lie into your mind, maybe you're not chosen. Maybe you're not that one. Well, it's like a... If you're forming a baseball team and somebody says, okay, we are all going to play baseball. Let's have a game together. And everybody who wants to play, you come. And you're scared you might not be chosen to play because you're not very good. What God is saying is that every one of you are invited to come. And everybody who says, I'd like to play, is chosen. Is chosen. And then he says, I choose you. Why? Because you said yes. And then you say, but I can't play very good. He says, I'll teach you. I don't know how to catch the ball. I'll teach you. We're together. But some will say, I don't want to play ball. And they are not chosen. They are rejected. Who's rejecting whom? You choose. Whoever says yes, God says, I have chosen you. And the enemy does not want us to understand that. It is so simple. It is so simple. When he calls us. We are chosen. We are selected. So whether or not you have ever said yes to Jesus, or sometimes you doubt whether or not you're really there or not, you need to know that as Jesus is, invites you and you say yes, you are there. Yes, you misbehave or sin. Let's go back to Jesus. He will help us with that. He washes us. Stop pretending. You cannot pretend yourself into heaven. Father, I thank you for your love and mercy and your grace to us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live in us, irrespective of nationality, skin color, language, gender, you love us. And so, Father, I pray that your love will saturate us and that we will love each other and love you because you tell us that we are your friends when we love you and we love each other. That's your friend. Help us to be good friends.
Amen.